Chapter Sixteen of the Black Moth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tara Mendoza. The Black Moth, by Georgette Hare. Chapter Sixteen. Mister Bettison proposes. Mister Bettison could make nothing of Diana of late. Her demeanour at first, so charming and so cheerful, had become listless and even chilling. She seemed hardly to listen to some of his best tales, and twice she actually forgot to laugh at what was surely a most witty pleasantry. It struck him that she regarded him with a resentful eye, as if she objected to his presence at Horton House, and had no desire to be courted. But Mr. Bettison was far too egotistic to believe such a thing, and he brushed the incredible suspicion away deciding that her coldness was due to a very proper shyness. He continued his visits until they became so frequent that scarce a day passed without his strutting step being heard approaching the house, and his voice inquiring for the Miss Bulays. Mr. Bulay, who secretly hoped for Mr. Bettison as a son-in-law, would not permit the ladies to deny themselves, and he further counselled Miss Betty to absent herself after the first few moments, leaving the young couple together. Thus it was that it so continually fell to Diana's lot to receive the squire and to listen to his never-ending monologues. She persistently snubbed him, hoping to ward off the impending proposal. But either her snubs were not severe enough, or Mr. Bettison's skin was too thick to feel them, for not a fortnight after my lord's departure he begged her hand in marriage. It was refused him with great firmness, but taking the refusal for coquettishness he pressed his suit still more amorously, and with such a self-assured air that Mistress Di became indignant. "'Sir,' she cried, "'it seems you have indeed misread my attitude towards you.' Mr. Bettison was struck dumb with amazement. It had never entered his brain that Diana could seriously refuse him. He could hardly believe his ears at this quite unmistakable tone of voice, and sat gaping. "'I must beg,' continued Diana, "'I must beg that you will discontinue.' your all-too-frequent visits here. Please do not deem me unkind, but your persecution of me, I can call it nothing else, is wearying, and, you will forgive the word, tiresome. I confess I am surprised that you had not perceived your attentions to be distasteful to me. "'Distasteful!' cried Mr. Bettison, recovering after two or three unsuccessful attempts from his speechlessness. "'Do you mean what you say, Miss Diana?' that you will not wed me. She nodded. Yes, Mr. Benison, I do. And that my attentions are displeasing to you. Well, Miss Bullet, well, indeed. Diana softened a little. I am indeed sorry that you should have misconstrued. No misconstruction, madame, snapped the squire, who was fast losing control over his temper. Do you dare, Avoth, that you did not encourage me to visit you? I do most emphatically. Oh, I see what is. You cannot hoodwink me. T'was never thus with you before that fellow came. Mr. Bettison, I am entirely at a loss, but I desire you to leave this room before you say aught you may afterwards regret. He disregarded her. You are infatuated by that overdressed popinjay, that insufferable car, who, from all I hear, is but a shady fellow, and who— with a sweeping movement, Diana had risen and walked to the bell-rope. She now pulled it with such vigour that a great peal sounded throughout the house. She stood perfectly still, a statue of disdain, 
tall, beautiful, and furious, with compressed lips and head held high. Mr. Bettison broke off and mopped his brow, glaring at her. Startled, Thomas appeared at the door. "'Did you ring, madame?' "'Show Mr. Bettison out,' was the proud answer. The squire got up awkwardly. "'I am sure I apologize if I said aught that was untrue,' he mumbled. "'I hope you will not take my words amiss.' "'I shall try to forget your insults, sir,' she replied. "'The door, Thomas.' Mr. Bettison went out, and his step had lost some of its self-confident swagger. For a full minute after the great front door had shut behind him, Diana stood where she was, and then the colour suddenly flamed in her cheeks, and she turned and ran out of the room, up the stairs to her own chamber, where she indulged in a luxurious fit of crying. From this enjoyable occupation she was interrupted by a rap on the door, and Miss Betty's voice desiring to know if she was within. She instantly started up, and with hasty fingers straightened her tumbled curls. "'Pray, enter!' she called, trying to sound jaunty. To complete the illusion, she started to hum. Her aunt entered. "'I came to see if you had my embroidery. I cannot find it, and I am sure it was you brought it in from the garden this morning.' "'Yes. Oh, yes. I am so sorry. "'Tis in that corner on the chair, I think,' replied Diana, keeping her face averted. Miss Betty cast a shrewd glance at her, and sat down on the sofa with the air of one who means to stay. "'What is it, my love?' she demanded. Diana pretended to search for something in a cupboard. "'Nothing, aunt. What should there be?' "'I do not know. "'Tis what I want to find out.' "'answered Miss Betty placidly. "'There is not amiss, I assure you.' "'To prove the truth of this statement, "'Diana essayed a laugh. "'It was a poor attempt, "'and wavered pitifully into a sob. "'My pet, don't tell me you are crying.' "'I—I'm not,' avowed Diana, "'hunting wildly for her pocket-handkerchief. "'Tis it cold in the head I have at these three days.' "'Indeed, my love. Longer than that, I fear. Yes, perhaps so. What do you mean? I doubt what you all caught it the day that Mr. Carr left us. Diana started. Pray, do not be ridiculous, auntie. No, my dear. Come and sit beside me and tell me all about it, coaxed Miss Betty. Diana hesitated, gave a damp sniff, and obeyed. Miss Betty drew her head down on to her shoulder soothingly. "'There, there, don't cry, my sweet. What has happened?' "'Tis that odious Mr. Bettison,' sobbed Diana. "'He—he he had the audacity to ask me to m marry him.' "'You don't say so. Oh, my love, I thought I heard him arrive. So you sent him about his business? Not—not before—' he had time to insult me. Insult you? Die? He—he dared to insinuate— Oh, no! He accused me outright of being infatuated by Mr. Carr. Infatuated! Over her head, Miss Betty opened her eyes at her own reflection in the glass. The brute! But, of course, tis true. No answer. Is it not? The sobs came faster. Uh, of course it's true, but how dare he say so? Die, my love. 
You really are in love with that boy. I—I—I I, I asked him to marry me, and he wouldn't. Good gracious heavens! Miss Betty was genuinely horrified. My dear Diana, not, not outright, but, but he understood, and he loves me, and I'd do it again tomorrow if I could, immodest or no, so there. Yes, yes, soothed Miss Betty hastily. Tell me all about it. Diana lifted her head. That's all, and he loves me. He does, he does. Did he say so? N no, but I could tell. And I love him. And, and I'd sooner die than live without him. And he won't ask me be because he has not got a spotless past. And he'd be a cur. And horrid things. And my husband must not be an, an outcast. And, and, and I don't care. Her bewildered aunt unraveled this with difficulty. He'd be a cur if he asked you to marry him, she asked with knitted brows. Yes, because he's a highwayman. A highwayman? Then t'was true, what he said. Well, well, I should never have thought it. That nice boy. Diana disengaged herself. In her eyes was a threatening gleam. Don't you dare say a word against him. No, no, no. Of course not. I was only surprised. But I am thankfully glad he did not ask you, for all of that. Glad? How can you be so cruel? My dear, you could not possibly marry a... a... Common felon? sobbed Diana. I can! I can! and heaven alone knows what else he may have done. Why, child, he said himself that he had a, a spotty past. At this, her niece gave a tearful giggle. <laughs> Law, what ails you now, Di? He, he never said spotty. Miss Betty smiled reluctantly. A doubtful past, then. I don't believe it. Her aunt pursed up her lips. I won't believe it. He couldn't be wicked, you forget. He saved me. Miss Betty relented. No, I do not, my love. And to be sure, I think he is a dear boy. But I also think t'was very right of him to go away. She was enveloped in a rapturous embrace. Auntie, you know you love him almost as much as I do. No, that I do not was the grim retort. I am not like to want to marry him. There was another watery giggle at this, and Diana went over to the dressing-table to tidy her hair. I doubt I shall never see him again, she said wretchedly. Oh, Auntie, if you could but have seen his dear, unhappy eyes. Stuff and nonsense. Not see him again, forsooth. He will call upon us in town. "'Tis but common politeness. "'You forget. "'He is a highwayman and not like to come nigh us again.' "'Well, my dear, "'if he cares for you as you say he does, "'he will see to it that he takes up some decent occupation.' 
Mayhap he will go into the army or what not. Then wait and see if he does not come to you. Do you think so? Doubtfully. Of course I do. Sweetheart, and if he does not try to mend his ways and you see him no more, why then snap your fingers at him, my love, for he will not be worth one tear. Diana sighed and poured out some water to bathe her face with. Is that not sensible? coaxed her aunt. She raised her head and looked unutterable scorn. I think tis remarkably silly, she answered. Then her dignity fell from her. Oh, are all men such big stupids? she cried. Most of them, nodded her aunt. But can't he tell that I shall be, oh, so miserable, and that I should not ruin my life if I married him? My dear, once a man gets an idea into his head, "'Tis the very devil to get it out of him. "'Not but what I think Master Jack is right, mind you. "'And your dear Papa and I had looked higher for you. "'After all, what is Mr. Carr?' "'He is the only man I will ever marry. "'So you may cease looking higher for me. "'I suppose you want me to marry that great Gabby Sir Dennis Fabian. "'You are for ever inviting him to the house. "'Or perhaps this gallant Mr. Bettison. Oh, Mr. Everard, how can you be so unkind? I am not, but I could not bear to see you throw yourself away on a highwayman, my dear. Diana ran to her, putting her arms round her neck. Dearest Auntie, forgive my rudeness. I know you did not mean to be unkind, but you do not understand. I love him. I always said you'd take it badly, nodded Miss Betty gloomily. Take what badly? Love, and no man is worth one teardrop sweet. The confident, tender little laugh that answered this statement made her look at her suddenly changed niece in surprise. You don't know, said Diana. Her eyes were soft and luminous. You just do not know. Before Miss Betty could think of a suitable retort, a knock fell on the door. It was opened, and Thomas was found to be without. My Lady O'Hara is below, madame. For an instant the two ladies stared at one another, then— "'Law and drat,' said Miss Betty, with the drawing-room in a muddle after cleaning. Diana nodded to the man. "'We will come, Thomas.' Then as soon as he had withdrawn, she stared again at her aunt. "'Lady O'Hara? But why?' I suppose she felt that she must call after Sir Miles had been here so often. But why, for goodness' sake, must she choose the one day that the drawing-room is all untidy? Drat again, I say. Diana was powdering her little nose, and anxiously looking to see if the tear-stains had quite vanished. "'Tis not untidy, Aunt Betty. Oh, I am quite eager to see her. I think she must be charming, from all Sir Miles said. Do hurry, Aunt. Miss Betty stuck a pin into her hair and smoothed out her dress. "'And me in this old taffeta,' she grumbled. Diana swirled round her own peach-coloured silk rustling fashionably. "'Never mind, dear. You look very sweet. But do be quick.' Miss Betty suffered herself to be led to the door. "'Tis all very fine for you, my love, with a new gown fresh on to-day. Will you just take a look at my petticoat, though?' "'Nonsense. You are beautiful. Come.' Together they descended the stairs and went into the drawing-room. A dainty, very diminutive little lady arose from a chair at their entry, and came forward with outstretched hands, 
and such a fascinating smile that Miss Betty's ill-humoured vanished, and she responded to her visitor's deep curtsy with one of her best jerky dips. "'I am vastly delighted to welcome you, madame,' she said primly. "'Tis good in you to come this long way to see us.' She drew a chair forward for my lady and presented her niece. Lady O'Hara gave the girl a swift, scrutinizing glance, and curtsied again. "'Tis a great pleasure to me to meet you at last, Miss Bulay. She smiled. "'My husband has told me so much of you. I declare I was all agog to meet you.' Diana warmed instantly to the little lady's charm. "'We, too, have heard much of you from Sir Miles. We have wanted to meet you.' Lady O'Hara seated herself and nodded briskly. "'I expect he told you some dreadful tales of me,' she said happily. "'I must ask your pardon for not having visited you before. But, as I dare say you know, I have been away, and gracious me, when I returned, everything seemed topsy-turvy.' She laughed across at Miss Betty. "'I promise you, I have had my hands full putting things to rights, Miss Bulay.' Miss Bulay drew her chair closer, and in a minute they were deep in truly feminine conversation. The prodigious extravagance of the servants, the helplessness of menfolk when left to themselves, and then London, its shops, its parks, the newest play. Lady O'Hara was begged to take a dish of Miss Betty's precious bohea, a very high honour indeed, and when Mr. Bulay came into the room he found his sister and daughter seated on either side of a pretty, animated little lady whom he had never before seen, talking hard and partaking of tea and angel cakes whereupon he retired hastily and shut himself up in his library. End of chapter 16 Recording by Tara Mendoza Phoenix, Arizona, August 2011